Sego, Sewagwego. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory. Our podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services with the technical assistance of Humble Man Recording. My name is Lisa Venevery from the Mohawk Nation and the Wolf Clan. I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name program and the host of this podcast. Welcome to the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word Donate, located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. This is the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. Welcome to another episode of the Road to Your Name podcast, Yohate Negasuna. And today, um, our special guest is Alion Yayas Hearn, and he's from the community of Akwasasne. And I'll let him introduce his nation and clan. Today, we're going to talk about relationships and marriage. So now, Lisa, it's good. We had done the first part of this, so I guess today's going to be our extension of um, the previous one, um, talking about birth and conception, and sexuality, and family. So this is like the next part of that. So um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Okay. Um, yeah, if you did catch the first part of birth, go and listen to that episode. Um, it was really enlightening and a lot of interesting um, cultural knowledge in that episode. So as we move on from birth in our in our lives and we begin to grow and gain more um, human relationships. Um, what do we need to know from a cultural perspective? Yeah, so we had kind of like yesterday or the other day, we had left off from <clears throat> talking about our rites of passage, moving from one stage of our life as like being a child and then moving into adulthood. And that's usually around the time when we start to figure ourselves out, find out who we really are as a person. And this is really important in the development of relationships and the development of ourselves. What we were discussing from the other day was moving from childhood into adulthood and what that looks like for us because now it's more, it focuses on developing the relationship with ourselves first 
And so this is why I had asked you to have uh, an example of this type of basket. Um, and in studying like the rites of passage or what we call the stages in our lives as a, from a cultural standpoint, um, every stage of development, every stage of our life is like a basket, right? So when we are conceived as, you know, from the, from the development stages of conception, our first basket is the womb of our mothers. And if you looked at it before that, the first basket is, the, is you know, our father's body. So that's where we're first kept. And then we're passed over, we're planted in the, in the womb of our mothers, and then we start development. But that's like a basket, right? Her womb or her uterus or, you know, how we develop, that's our basket. So then when we come to that stage to be born, we're placed into a, um, either it could be a bassinet, because some cultures believe in like the bassinet or this type of basket for a child, yeah. or the cradle board. So the cradle board is like the same idea. It's like you're wrapped in a basket, you're protected. And then from that point, moving into the next stage of development is like when we start losing our teeth. And at that point in your life, you would be given a small basket, a very little child's basket. And that's where when you lose your teeth, you would place them into that basket and you would keep them safe. And there's a lot of teachings. There's like, <laughs> there's probably like tens of different types of teachings I've heard about what we do with our teeth and how we offer that to, it could be the beaver, or the otter, or the muskrat. You can offer it to the thunder spirits or, you know, the little people. There's all these teachings about what we do with our teeth. Mm -hmm. But it, the understanding for me is always that small basket, the children's basket that you're given. Also, they say that children's basket can also be things that a child picks up along their road. They could be medicines, you know, like children pick up small stones and they don't know what it is, but they found that that could be a part of their personal medicine. And a lot of times as adults or parents, we dismiss it, right? Like we're, oh, that's just a rock, can we throw it away? But that's something that could be placed in that child's basket from the time they're small. And imagine they get older, right? And they find out that's, that's a big part of who they are as, as a person, as, as their medicine, as their protection, whatever you want to call it. So then moving from the children's basket, now you move into the time of when you go through your, your change in life. And at that point in the change in life, now you start looking at this type of basket. So when we do rites of passage ceremony back home or we do a logo, this is always a big part of it, is now you're going to receive a personal basket. And our job, our responsibility as people is to fill this basket. And so this represents us as a person, right? Personally, like all of the things that I've ever believed in, all of the things that I've ever learned, uh, learning about myself, uh, my behaviors, my personalities, maybe some of my quirks, my, my, uh, my humor, whatever it is, I'm going to fill that basket as much as possible. But it can also be our songs, our dances, our ceremonies, our medicine. Uh, all of that stuff starts to fill that basket. It also includes the negative things too. Mm -hmm. So for me, it might be my anger, it might be violence, it might be, um, you know, like frustration, or maybe I got a short temper, whatever it is, right? that also goes in that basket. So then, now as, a, as I go through my rites of passage, that's my whole responsibility and my family's responsibility is to help me fill that basket. So like some lacrosse players, right? A lacrosse stick or a lacrosse ball, that's their medicine. Um, for women, it could be, um, you know, moon ceremony, it could be uh, stones, could be anything like that, crystals, whatever it is, all becomes part of their personal basket, their personal medicine. So here's the really beautiful part. Now that a person, whether it's uh, male, female, doesn't matter, a boy or girl, 
goes through that developmental stage of becoming a man or woman um, through that rites of passage, and we filled up that basket as much as possible. Now comes the part where our mothers have the say in our partners, who our partners will be. So a long time ago, they say that we had what's called arranged marriages. And when we say arranged marriages, though, a lot of people misinterpret that as it's like, okay, you, Lisa, I'm going I'm to put you with Joe Schmo from down the road, right? That, that's who you're going to be partnered with. It's like a, a, blind, a blind kind of thing. But that's not really how it used to work. The arrangement was from the time you were small, you would already be developing relationships. You would already be developing love and attraction and compassion for certain people, right? You know, like in, when you go into a kindergarten class, some kids just automatically like each other. Some kids just automatically would say, that's my girlfriend, that's my boyfriend. We already developed that from the time we're small. Mm -hmm. So the mothers, that's their responsibility is to not create that, but to cultivate it, is to build that on that love, to build on that attraction that those two young people have for each other. So now, during, so all through the process of, you know, developing into man or woman or developing into adulthood, you would, the, the boys and the girls would be separated from each other. So the boys go with the men, learn all the responsibilities of men, learn all about themselves. And then the, the girls would stay with the women in the village and learn all about women's responsibilities and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes time to, now you're ready to have partner, now you're ready to have family, then it goes to the mothers to decide, okay, which of these relationships have we been watching all these years? And that's what, that's what goes back to our, our family structure or what you call like um, the communal living, right? So living in a big house all together or living in a community very close-knit, you could see all that, right? You could see the development of those relationships from the time children were very young. So then mothers, all they had to do was make the arrangement for now, these two are going to be placed together. Here's what I was saying is the beautiful part is, so for like, let's just say you and I, I have filled my basket as much as possible. I've put medicine, I've put all the things that make me who I am into this basket. And I've carried this, who knows? It could be for four years, it could be five, six, it could be 10 years I carried this. And I did everything I could to fill this. Now, when it comes to, and you've done the same thing, right? In your life, you, you filled your basket. Now, when it comes time for a marriage or a partnership to happen, during that marriage ceremony, we each bring our personal basket. And we don't exchange rings, we don't exchange vows, we exchange baskets. So this is the piece for me that was always missing because I always knew about the marriage ceremony, they always talked about the basket, but I never knew that you're supposed to fill that basket first. And that's like a metaphor, right? For filling yourself. Yeah. And learning yourself. Preparing Pre yourself. Yeah. Preparing yeah. yourself, but also knowing yourself. Yeah. Learning who you are first before you jump into relationships. And how many times do we see in our communities where people jump into relationships and they don't even know themselves? Yeah. But now they're seeking love, they're seeking affection, they're seeking to fill all those things in another person. But it doesn't work, because what happens if that person can't fulfill that for you? So that's the whole idea behind the basket is you first fulfill yourself. Mm -hmm. I fill myself, I fill my basket, which is the metaphor right, for fulfilling myself. I fill that first, and then now that I'm ready to have partnership, now I'm going to exchange this basket with you, with my partner. Mm 
And it's not just the basket. It's all the things that make me who I am. And you're going to do the same. You're also going to give me your basket. And now as partners, we each carry each other's baskets. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, I found this in, in the language because in the language, they say that we don't have really a word for marriage. Our word in the language for marriage is the galihuainawago. And the galihuainawago, or they say the zanirihuayena, really it means you're going to share in the issues. Mm-hmm. You're going to share in each other's issues. So all the issues that you have, now it's my response, I'm going to carry that. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, you're going to mm-hmm. carry my issues, <laughs> whether they're good or bad. Mm-hmm. See how beautiful that is? Yeah. So that marriage is like, it's such a powerful thing because it's not just, you know, joining of two people or, or this lustful thing. It's really development and looking at how those two will, how compatible those two people will be. In the, in the language, in that word, um, Degali, is that um, referencing two? Yeah. How we say Degani yep. is two? Absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. great. Or, or Dezini is the same. Dezini Hanwago. Dezini is the same as the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing. I I found it interesting that when you said you also put your negative things in here. Yeah. Um, are, is there anything in the culture that references, um, even though we have these negative things, everybody has the potential to be angry. Mm-hmm. That's an emotion that we, we all share. Um, are we supposed to be always trying to minimize that in our baskets and maximize the positive? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's really negative or positive because to me, those things is a part of us, right? And yeah. when you get into a relationship with somebody, I, I think the whole fantasy, right? The whole fantasy about relationships is that I met this person and they are so amazing, they're so great, and I'm only going to look at the good things. Mm-hmm. That's unrealistic, right? Yeah. Because really you don't know them. <laughs> you don't know them very well because everybody has vices, everybody has negativity, everybody has something. And if you didn't if you haven't seen that yet, if you haven't learned that about your partner, then it's kind of like setting you up for failure because because um it's almost like that that fantasy thing, right? That this person is gonna be perfect because nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. But the thing about putting negativity in here. In my mind, at, at culturally, right? If we had seen something, so let's use anger for example. If I put anger into my basket, guess what comes with that too? The medicine, mm-hmm. the ceremony, because we have ceremonies for anger. So not only does the anger go in, but also the, the solution for it goes in there too. Mm-hmm. So this is where, let's say like my wife, she gives me my basket and let's just use, um, Let's just use, can I use depression? Mm-hmm. Let's say she has depression, uh, episodes of depression in there. My responsibility is to also know her medicine for that depression. It could be a number of ceremonies, because there's a lot of ceremonies for depression in our culture. So I look in her basket, I see depression, but I also see the ceremony in there. So maybe at some point, when I start seeing my partner go back into that episode of depression, I can take out that medicine and I can take out that ceremony and remind her of that mm-hmm. and help her with that, you see? So that's not, it's not just carrying the negativity, it's also carrying the solution for it too. Yeah. So that's all the parts that go into marriage and a, and a relationship 
and a partnership. And what's even more interesting is that that word that we use for marriage, the Galihuaynalago, it's the same word that we would use between the two sides of the house. So no matter where you travel throughout the Confederacy, there's two sides of the house. First you have the male-female doors, right, the male-female side, but also you have the family sides. So for the Mohawks, we have the bear side, and then we have the turtle and wolf on the opposite side. And all different nations have different arrangement of their clan system. But the same concept is there of the two sides. So when we do ceremony, we're always passing it across the house from one side to the other. That is the same idea of a partnership. And when we pass it across the house, we say that the it's the same word as a marriage. Mm-hmm. So the same way that we interact in Longhouse for a ceremony is the same way that a partnership between a husband and a wife interact with each other. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea. It's the sharing of the issues, the sharing of the matters. That's really special. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I find really important in this whole idea about marriages in the Longhouse or in, in Haudenosaunee sense is that the idea of the mothers having, I don't want to say control or final say, but having the say in a partnership because it's not just that we're, like we always look at it, almost like a monarchy, right? Like they're the last word, they're the boss, and that's not really how it is. When we look at marriage and the mothers having, having a say in that, the reason why the mothers have a say is because they have to support that couple now. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing that I find with a lot of relationship breakdown is because there's no support. Whenever in our communities we hear that a couple is having trouble, where we have a really bad habit of starting to take sides, yeah. right? Lisa, that guy's no good for you. It's a good thing that, you know, maybe you should just leave him or vice versa for the male too, right? That's our habit. Yeah. All of a sudden, the relationship, there's no support of it. So in the Longhouse, in our marriages, you have not only the, the two partners that are being joined, you also have the two families. And everybody in attendance is also responsible for that, for that marriage. Mm-hmm. Everybody, the whole community is responsible for that. So that's one thing I find is that a lot of couples who are struggling, they don't have support. They're, they're stuck in their own because we're together now, right? It's only me and you. That's, that's an unrealistic idea is that I, I only depend on you because you're my partner now. Well, I think it's because they don't, because of colonization, we've lost those teachings. Well, not lost them, they're still there. Yeah. We've, we've not been um, given them, yeah, I guess you absolutely. would say. And so, I mean, I think still today, when we look at relationships in our communities, I think families are involved, but um, we need to incorporate the teachings yeah. to help families be involved in a more positive way. Yeah, in a healthy way, right? In a healthy way. A lot of times our families get involved in an unhealthy way yeah. or they want to take sides, but that's not always what we look for in a relationship or when we're, when we're struggling, when we're having problems. And you have to look at also the shift from communal living, with living in longhouses, right? Living with our entire family, the closeness that we would have had, and and that involvement from our families. So, so looking at the shift in our lifestyle, right? So the shift of communal living 
living together as big families, having support of our families. Now we move into a colonized setting, which is now individual, individualistic families. Yeah. And in that sense, it's almost as if we solely depend on our partners, we solely depend on each other to make things work. But that's unrealistic because what if that person doesn't have everything that we need or doesn't, doesn't have the skills or the tools necessary to really help us with everything? And so that's why a long time ago, it was the involvement of both families, both mothers. That's why that part was so important because we knew that it was gonna take the community to support this relationship to really make it work. And it wasn't, you know, we're just kids, right? Usually when we get, but when we get married, we're usually young, right? We're, we're, even if you're in your 30s or 40s, you're still pretty young and still learning yourself. So it's like now all of a sudden, you have this other person that you have to know and understand and all this stuff. And where's the support of that relationship? Mm -hmm. So that's what the marriage really set us up for was not only being, being together with a person for the rest of our lives or, you know, spending time together or starting a family was that that partnership was also going to be supported. It was going to be supported by the whole community. Mm -hmm. And they even, so as part of the speech and the marriage ceremony, they also say that they talk to the mothers first and they get the approval of the mothers because they want to know, are you going to support them when they need it? And there's even, and it's almost as if they talk more to the mothers than they actually do the partners. And one of the things that they say to the mothers is, so on the female side, they'll say, if she ever gets sick and cannot care for her children, will you come and help that family? Will you come and help your daughter? And then vice versa for the man, they'll say, if he ever takes sick, will you come and help the family? Will you come and help her? See, that's all about supporting yeah. this couple. And it even talks about gossip in there, right? Mm -hmm. If there is ever gossip, what are you gonna, well, how do we handle gossip? Are you gonna listen to what people say? Because maybe they are jealous of your love. Maybe they are jealous of your partnership and they will try to pull it apart. And even that's encouraged to say, you don't listen to those gossips. You believe in each other and you believe in this, what we've created and in, 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 in this agreement or whatever you want to call it. Um, you believe in each other. You don't believe in anybody from the outside. So all of that gets said in the, in the marriage ceremony. And then those baskets are exchanged. Now we're going to carry each other's basket. So inside of the basket, also symbolically, not symbolically, but they also put, so in the woman's basket, she has cornbread, strawberry cornbread. Mm -hmm. And the strawberries, and the strawberry part is tied to a creation story of the sky woman. Yeah. And so that goes in her basket. And that is her, that is her promise to fulfill that role. I'm gonna fulfill the role of the garden. I'm gonna fulfill the role of, you know, cooking and providing for the children and being close to the fire, close to the family, close to the home. So that all is her responsibility along with, you know, all of her own things that she's filled in her basket. And then in the men's basket, he will have deer meat. And deer meat, or the some say wild game, some type of meat. And that is his responsibility to say, I'm going to provide the foods for you. For the family, I'm going to be the provider. So I provide the foods, you prepare the foods. Mm -hmm. Now, people get really, <laughs> I find we get really colonized in thinking that way, right? We get so rigid that, oh, the man has to be the one to provide and hunt. The woman has to be the one to be in the home and, 
and you know do all the cooking but that's not necessarily true either it's not rigid mm-hmm. so if it comes to a place where my wife gets sick guess what I gotta clean the house now mm-hmm. I gotta do the laundry <laughs> I gotta take care of children and change the diapers because she becomes sick sick but that's a part of that agreement that I made is that I'm gonna share with her in this new life and vice versa I also believe that a long time ago if the men were sick or if the men had all been killed at war or the men could not do what they needed to do, the women would go hunt. Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to do? Just sit on your hands <laughs> and not provide for your family because your, your husband is incapable? That's not, that's not reality, right? Mm-hmm. So I also find in the teachings, we get too rigid about it. We get too colonized in saying that only the women can do blah, blah, blah. Only the men can do blah, blah. That's not the way it is. Yeah. It's it's a necessity, right? It, it's like um, what do you what's the word you would say that in English like? It's can't think of a word. I can only think of like necessity. Um, what would you say like? Uh, where you where you have to do something? Yeah, it's like out of. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of the word. Yeah, I can only think of necessity. Anyways. That's the way I see it, is that it's more about what needed to be done and that the responsibilities and the things that needed to be taken care of were taken care of. And I was fortunate in my life, right? In my home, I always seen my father. He always, every morning he'd get up and he worked early hours. So whenever my dad got up, he would do the dishes. No matter if there was two dishes or a whole pile of dishes, my dad always did that to help to help my mother out. He would sweep the floors. He would. Uh, mop, he would vacuum, he would do laundry, he did all those things, even though he also provided, right? He, he worked 12, 14 hour days sometimes. I always seen my dad do that. So it was always this idea that, you know, even though I'm a, I'm a male, I'm not excluded from doing women's work. And we were raised that way, like my mother needed help, we helped her. Um, when the dishes needed to be done, we did the dishes. And it was never this like gender roles, like we get stuck in this gender roles now, right? And, but I don't think it was that rigid. It was just based on what needed to get done at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to encourage that too, is that I see a lot of men coming up now. <laughs> and I've seen this for a long time where men are, I'm a warrior, I'm a man, I'm masculine, right? And I belong in the forest and I, don't, I can't do any housework. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to tell you, that's like very, very colonized thinking. Um, or like a man's gonna just sit around his house and not do anything because it's all a woman's responsibility. That's not. That goes back to colonized thinking, like I'm, I'm a man in his castle, right? Yeah. <laughs> and a king yeah. in his castle doesn't do anything, right? Yeah. And that's not that's not our way. Like we share in all of those things. Mm-hmm. That was a part of the partnership. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share in everything, and you're going to share in everything with me. So, and it's interesting too because even I know we already had done a lacrosse podcast, but one of the things even with lacrosse, right, is that a lot of the netting of the sticks. Even though women weren't supposed to touch the crown sticks, long time ago, a lot of the netting was done by the women. Yeah. Because it represents both female and male. Mm-hmm. Right? It represents both because you can't have life without both. Mm-hmm. So then I always thought it really strange how some people were so rigid about women touching their crown sticks. Me as a person, I don't want anybody touching my medicine stick. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Like, I don't want anybody because that's my medicine. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not about being male or female, it's about protecting my medicine. I, if it's my daughters, yeah, I'll let my daughters use my stick because, you know, I trust them. If it's somebody else I trust, I'd let them touch it. I wouldn't care. 
And that's what I kind of raised my, my children with is that it's not so rigid. We're, we're too rigid now. And that's a big thing that's like, it's supposed to flow and be natural too. So in talking about all that partnership, talking about the baskets, that's all representative of that. So now we share in this new responsibility, we share in this new life. And one of the, I'll share one part in, in creation story because it ties to that whole marriage part. They say in the sky world, there were these two beings. So one was when Sky Woman, whose name was Yuji Jizo, when she was coming up and she became like um, at an age where she could have partner. She was partnered with this man whose name was Lanudanuhna. Uh, and Lanudanuhna, in English, I guess they call him the Sky Chief uh, or they call him the Guardian of the Tree. They say they were partnered. And after they were arranged and married, they say that to gain her marriage, Lanudanuhna, he offered two baskets to her family. He offered one to the men, which was full of deer meat, and he offered one to the women, which was full of white corn. So that's where you get that in a marriage ceremony, they offer cornbread and meat to each other. Mm. So then, from that point, after they were married, they went back into Manudanuna's house. And they said that they consummated the marriage. Nowadays, modern day, when we say consummate, what's the first thing we think? We think of um, having sex. Having sex, right, right away. And we're kind of conditioned, right, because of media, because of TV. That's the first thing. And it's really graphic, it's really pornographic what we think when it comes to consummation. But in the story it says that when they consummated their marriage, they went back, and it's so beautiful because they say, they went back into his house or his lodge, and they laid in his bed. Manudanuhna, the man, he laid with his head in the east, which is tied to the sunrise, which is tied to the men. And Yujijizo, she laid with her head in the west, which is tied to the nighttime, or the sunset and the women. And the only thing that was touching was their feet like this. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that was touching. And as they laid there, in a story it describes, they says, they started to take deep breaths. <gasps> they started to take those deep breaths. And they took deep breaths until their breath became intertwined into one breath. Mm -hmm. Now, the word that we say in our language for breath is ahnizala, ahnizala. And Ahnisla is the same word that's used for a day. So Ahnisla is a day, but it really means one breath. Mm. So in the marriage ceremony, from that part in creation story, they says, now they were joined into one breath. So every single day, it was as if they were going to breathe the same breath now. Mm -hmm. And they say that in the marriage ceremony, you're going to be one mind now, you're going to be one heart, one body, one spirit, one breath from this day forward you're not going to be separate anymore. You're going to be one breath. Mm -hmm. So that was always a really beautiful part in the speech, really beautiful part from creation story, um, talking about how they consummated the marriage. And it wasn't like this, you know, sexual pornographic thing. It was really about joining those two spirits. Yeah. And also they say that's how she became pregnant. So it had nothing to do with sex, right? It had to do with the joining of their breaths. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's such a beautiful way to look at, like, um, consummation and, and joining of two spirits. So I always thought that was really, really beautiful from that creation story part. Oh, yeah. One thing about the um, cultural knowledge that we have, it's so vivid in images and um, concepts and um, 
just it's just so beautiful, you know, when we explain it how how it was and how it should still be today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Um, can we talk about um, you know what if the basket gets rocky? What happens then? So um, that's where the support comes in, right? So whether it's the mothers, if the mothers can support that couple, um, they would do it. If, it. if it's the siblings, if it's the extended family, maybe it's the community. And one thing too, when there's a marriage, they're supposed to have, anytime there's a marriage ceremony, all the leadership are supposed to stand in front of that couple. So whether it's the chiefs, grandmothers, faith keepers, they're all supposed to stand in front of them. And that's a sign of, we're here to support you. So one thing that's said in marriage ceremony too is they say, if you ever have trouble, so like the rocky basket, if you ever have trouble or issues, you can go back to the leadership and ask for their help. Because leadership, the Dioneso, the clan mothers, they're supposed to be the example of what healthy relationships are. Yeah. They're supposed to be that example. So who better to direct us, who better to help us in a time of struggle or in a time of hardship than, than the ones who are supposed to be that best example of what we're supposed to be as relationships to each other. The unfortunate thing is not all leadership are put in that are put in are healthy or in healthy relationships, mm -hmm. but they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So that's what we look at. That's why it's so, there's so much criteria when it comes to putting a leader in. One of them is he's got to be a family man. Another one is he can't have children or families all over the place. That's because of that. Because if that couple ever comes to see him and he's got family all over, how is he going to give them advice? Yeah. You see what I mean? So that's a part of that. But it also comes from the community too, the community support. Was there ever time, I mean, in the in the world today, they say, if you get married, you have a 50% chance of getting a divorce mm -hmm. in today's um, statistics. But with um, the cultural way back then and adhering to all of the teachings and everything, was there, um, you know, ever times when the union just didn't work? It's, for me, it's really hard to say, um, like historically. Um, I really don't know if there's ever been records of that anywhere. Um, I'd have to really talk to my teachers, but I think that um, they would have exhausted all avenues first, right? Yeah. Um, they would have tried everything. You could have tried ceremonies. There, there's all kinds of things, medicines, um, to keep that couple together. There's even a medicine that has to do with um, two trees. I don't know, and they call it Adelozla, but it's really called a friendship medicine. Mm -hmm. And that comes from tree, if you've ever seen in the woods, there's trees that are intertwined with each other. Yeah. That's a medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's a medicine for friendship or compassion. So that's something that could be used for a couple that's struggling, right? And it might help them. There's all kinds of things that we would have had. So I think they would have exhausted all of that and they would have tried everything to support them and give them what they needed. If in the end it still didn't work, I think that there would have been separation. But also, the things that I hear is that we didn't have new, like, like the idea of nuclear families today, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of theories and there's a lot of idealisms about what our families look like because for the most part we had absent fathers too. So the husband wasn't there 24-7, right? He was busy, you know, providing or whatever, traveling or doing whatever he did to provide for the family. So 
it's really hard to say, right, like about divorce or how that worked or, or you know, was it really like the construct, the modern day construct of marriage or relationship? For me, it's really, really hard to say about. I think that in the end, after you exhausted all those avenues, I, I think there could have been separations. Now, as far as getting remarried, that's another, that's another thing, right? Because today we say that when you're married in Longhaus, there's no divorce. They say that to us. You're not supposed to separate. And if you do separate, you, you can't get remarried again. You, have, you, you can only get re remarried in death after your partner passes. Then there's protocols for when you find a new partner. So it's, it's, a, it's a really tough question. Um, it's, it's something that I have to research more for myself um, just to see if historically that was ever, if there was any practices of that. I kind of feel like um, I kind of feel like our relationships just worked better because we had a better understanding of ourselves. We we had more support of our families and our relationship, and also we were more fulfilled back then. Yeah. We had more things to fulfill us because we weren't like seeking approval from other people, right, or other the opposite sex, or from our friends, or from other women, or from other men. We were more fulfilled in ourselves and what we did and what we were doing. And we were a lot healthier too. So I think all of that combined made for more successful marriages, more successful relationships. But also, I'm still researching, I'm still learning about, about we didn't have necessarily traditional Western ideals about what relationships were in the constructs of like, I don't know, being in a box of you're with this person and that's the only person you're with. Mm -hmm. There's other things that I've heard about that I'm still researching of what our relationships really look like. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of hard to say, but I definitely think that there was, there was probably problems, right? There's problems in any society, um, in any marriages, but I think the likelihood of ever there being divorce was less likely. Not that I'm saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying it would have been way less likely because you had so much support. And, and you probably weren't together 24 seven annoying the crap out of each other either, right? <laughs> so that was probably a big thing is that you were more excited to see that person when you finally saw them because because they weren't around as, as often or yeah. as much, right? And you didn't have like screens to invade your relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, um, social media. Social media is a big thing now. It is. You know, you can, you can have people um, giving their opinion about your life and you don't even know them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, they can be across the world. Or watching your life, right, and mm -hmm. thinking that they know or thinking that they have a whatever about what's going on in, in your relationship. So, yeah, I think, I think chances were that we were a lot more successful back then. But also, I think it still would have happened. There were definitely, like, there's always problems, right? Um, but like I said, if you develop, like, um, through your life, liking someone or knowing someone, you know, that, that's cultivated from the time you're small. So you've already built this relationship. It's just now making it official. Now you're going to be together rather than, you know, being with a random person or, you know, um, trying it out and then seeing if it works or not. It's more about developing that over the, t the course of your life. And also, like all the things in your basket, so like your name too. So that's another thing that gets considered and me and my wife, when we were set to be married, my uncle came to us and he says, I want to do a ceremony for you guys, he said, before 
the night before your marriage, he said, or I think it was a few days before, he says, I want to take you through this old ceremony. And he said, and it's all about the compatibility of that partnership. And we, and we had no clue. We were just kids. I think I was, I was uh, 19 and my wife was 21 at the time. So we were just kids. We were just young. And we looked at, so he brought us through that whole ceremony the, that, that night. And one thing that he said was, okay, we look at the clans, right? The clans is always a big thing in the topic of marriage. So I'm bear clan and my wife's turtle clan. So that was, they, they talked about the compatibility of those clans and what our responsibility, not just as partners, but also as clan members is. And so he explained that to us. Then he went into um, the personalities. So what is the personalities here? What do you each carry? Me, I was always like more reserved and I held things in and my wife's like total opposite. She's like bold and loud and noisy and just will say what's on her mind, right? So even that, he said, that's a good balance too because, you know, I can teach her, you know, to be more reserved and she can teach me how to speak up. Mm -hmm. So even that, then he went into our names. And even the name part was really beautiful because he said the names have to match each other. And he asked my, our mothers, he said, do the names complement each other? So when we talk about the names, my name is Arohyanis. And Arohyanis has to do with the sky. It's like a big, long, never-ending sky. And my wife's name is Gayantokwas. And Gayantokwas has to do with the garden. Mm -hmm. So what comes from the sky? Rain for the garden. The rain and the sun. And the sun. So my name feeds her name. Mm -hmm. They complement each other. So that's what my uncle taught us too, was that you even consider the names. Mm -hmm. And in that consideration, and that's also why it goes to the mother's responsibility, because the mothers are responsible for the names. So then he said, okay, what if you had a fire name and a fire name? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't work, right? That's too much flame, that's too much fire. Yeah. So if somebody has a fire name, Usually they'd be paired with somebody that has to do with the water yeah. or the snow or, you know, something that's going to balance them. Yeah. So it's about compatibility. It's not about, you know, it's not necessarily about um, um, similarities. It's about who is compatible with each other. So that was beautiful too, is to look at even our names matched each other. Mm -hmm. And me and my wife have been together 18 years mm -hmm. and we've been married going on 16 years. So mm -hmm. I think it works if you really if you really know the teachings, and if you also have support, if you have support from your families, your community, because that's a big thing that, you know, couples are missing today is that they have no support. And when, the, when there starts to be trouble, right, the, our communities love that. Our communities love jumping on top of when there's trouble, when there start to be negativity. Um, instead of helping, we, we wanna, we just wanna, we just wanna take a side and say, well, you should just leave him. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not in a good relationship, so you shouldn't be either. That's that crab in the bucket thing. That's more like the way our communities are working now. So it is a hard thing in looking at, okay, how do we support more couples and more relationships to be successful? And how do we cultivate those healthy relationships? Because that's something that every community struggles with. And also continue to fill your baskets. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, I'm kind of dealing with that now with my children, right? Because they're coming to the age, they're, they're teenagers now. And I keep telling them, like, take your time, like, take your time, learn yourself first, like, figure out who you are first, and then try to share that with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Don't do it backwards, like, because people do it backwards, right? 
we get into a relationship and then we try to start to figure out who we are or then we expect that person to know who we are <laughs> and we don't even know mm -hmm. so it, it always goes back to that right like learning yourself have a relationship with yourself first what kind of things could a person do to learn about themselves so culturally like ceremonially um that's where we like through that rites of passage ceremony that's the big one right now that we have is helping people to connect on a spiritual level but it's also like when you're out in the so when we do rites of passage we put young people out for four days and four nights alone in the forest um through the years we've kind of watered that down because we wanted kids to have a positive experience and not just be thrown into like a full four days so we started like one day two day three day fast and that the whole idea of fasting is based on that like getting to know yourself mm -hmm. getting to know reconnect with nature reconnect with your medicines sometimes you have visions sometimes you learn like your song you might be given like a direction you might be given a medicine whatever it is right we don't know what comes out of that but that's the whole idea is you're spending time we always focus on nature but really you're spending time with yourself yeah so like for me when i went fasting when i did my own fast one thing that i always had was fear of like nighttime <laughs> and fear of like the unknown right and not seeing things so one of my fast was uh, was to deal with that, was to face the dark and face the night. And after four days and four nights, like out in the forest by yourself, you get comfortable with that, like being out there, because I made it, right? I'm still alive, but there wasn't some big monster out there that's going to kill me. So that helped me, right, in my life when I was younger to say, there's not a lot of things in this world that to be afraid of in nature. And it gave me that confidence. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it helped me in all scenarios. It helped me in dealing with people. It helped me with my own anxiety. It helped me with all of that. So that's all a part of learning yourself. So that's only one thing, one way that we use is the rites of passage ceremony or the fasting. Um, some people call it vision fasting. That's what that really is. But I kind of take a step back because a lot of people might go out there looking for, oh, I want answers for my community. I want, I want to know how do I help my people? How do I save the nation? And I'm like, okay, first, before you do all of that, let's learn you first. Mm -hmm. Let's find out who you are first. Mm -hmm. And when, we, when you know who you are, you're going to have better direction of how to help or how to help others. Mm -hmm. So it's like, don't skip that part because majority of people didn't go through that when they were young. Yeah. Like I said yesterday, um, you know, rites of passage for most people was drinking alcohol with their father for the first time. Mm -hmm. And now we have to have a more positive, or even like having sex for the first time, that was a rite of passage, right? Now, now you were a man or you were a woman, or um, you know, things like that that are unhealthy. So now it's like moving that from the unhealthy way into a more healthy way of coming, through, coming into adulthood, coming into womanhood or manhood. And that's what that rites of passage is about. So the other thing too that we do is like sweat lodge too, using sweat lodge. Um, to connect with who we are, connect with our ancestors, connect with our medicines. Um, even all of the society stuff, that's all part of that too, is learning who you are. Um, one of the ceremonies that I have, um, I'm not gonna talk specifically about what the medicine is, but one of the ceremonies that I, personal ceremonies that I do, is 
about speaking my voice. Mm -hmm. Because from the time I was small, I was always told not to speak up. That, you know, that colonized, um, you're supposed to be seen and not heard. That's how I was raised. So when I got older and I became a leader, it was difficult for me to speak up on things. So then I had to do a personal medicine to help me with that, like to speak mm -hmm. and to use my voice in a good way. So there's all these things right in the, within the culture that helps us to develop that and get, get to know ourselves and be comfortable with ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's like endless. It's endless, 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 the things that connect to who we are. And not just culturally, right, but who we are as an individual, who we are as a person, who, what makes us unique too as a person. So mm -hmm. all of that it should be developed in setting up those baskets before a relationship. I just want to ask one more question about the baskets. Like as you as you go along in your union, say you're together now um, 20 years, do you think you should revisit the baskets? Yeah. Throughout your relationship? Yeah, I think absolutely. That's I think that's something that's constantly done throughout a relationship, right? Is going back and looking at okay, you know, maybe it, and it's just like to me, it's natural, right? If you're carrying a basket every day. Eventually, it's going to get worn or it's going to get uh, dirty. It's going to get messy. So you got to go back and shine it up and clean it up and, and sand it down or whatever. Spruce it up. So it's the same thing in relationships, right? You revisit it and you, you constantly go back and talk and share with each other and look at, well, what's, what's happening? What, what's the challenges? What's working? And mm -hmm. Constantly doing that in a relationship is really, really healthy. Mm -hmm. But also, I think that goes back to honesty, too. People have a hard time being fully honest with themselves and if you're not fully honest with yourself how are you going to be fully honest with your partner because mm -hmm. that's the thing right is I find a lot of relationships they break down because there's not true honesty like mm -hmm. they're not really honest with each other about their wants their needs um, about their families about you know what's bothering them and and that's what that's what hurts a lot of relationships so that's a part of that too is that basket is you're going to be truly honest with about everything that you feel, everything that's and going on. And people change throughout their lives. Absolutely. Yeah, they're not the same at 19 that they are at 49. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And if you're and if you're going, if you're not going to be honest, how do you expect somebody to grow with you? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to change, like that's one thing, and I like the decision I made when I when I married my wife, and I told her this right from the first day. I says. I can't promise you that I'm going to be perfect or I'm going to be, you know, the greatest husband always or the greatest father. I says, but I will promise you one thing. I will always be honest with you. Even if it hurts you, I'm going to be honest about everything. Mm -hmm. And I find that that helped us so much because it was like, even if it was bad things, even if it was hurtful things or whatever, it helped that because it was like she knew exactly who I was. She knew who I was becoming. She knew the potential of who I could be. She always knew that, right? And it helped her make the decision, am I going to stay with this person? Mm -hmm. Because maybe he's not who I want to be with. Or maybe I see, you know, at least he's being honest and I can make that decision of, do I want to stay in this? Do I want to stay with him? Do I want to fight it out? So to me, that was real big for us is that I knew exactly who she was the whole way through. Mm -hmm. I knew who she was. I knew what she was struggling with. And I knew who she could be too. And vice versa, she knew me. And we, we were always honest, as honest as we could be, right? Mm -hmm. But that, that takes a lot of work too, because 
if I'm not honest with myself, how can I be, how can I tell her the truth, right? So I find that was the biggest thing in our relationship that helped us was the, the blunt honesty and really being true of who we are. And now, now it's in her court, right? Like, you see who I am, now it's up to you, do you still want to be with me? Mm-hmm. And I guess that goes back to what you said, right? When you're visiting the basket, it's like looking at that person again, okay, do I still want to be with this person? This is who they're becoming. Mm-hmm. And then making that decision, and, and we did, and it worked. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot of issues too in our relationship, looking back, things that, you know, people see us in the community and think that we're this perfect couple, we don't have any issues, but we've been through a lot of stuff. And we still go through a lot of stuff, but we also have support. And we also went to our families. We also went to, you know, I've gone to her parents. I've gone to my parents. We even went to the leadership at one point in time because we were struggling. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about leadership taking sides, but they were there for us. They encouraged us. They told us really good things. And it was like, it just really, really brought light to what was happening with us, right? And I think every couple needs that. I think every person needs that. But also, when you get into a relationship, we need that again too, because we have this unrealistic idea, right? Like that, okay, you're only gonna, you're only gonna be the one to support me now, and and that's okay. It's not a bad thing, but it's it's unrealistic because we still need the community to be there for us too. We still need our families. We still need direction. And it must have felt really good when it worked, when the leadership was there for you, and you felt this is how it worked a long time ago. And this is how it's still working. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the thing too, like when we look at leadership, right? We have this idea that they're these holy beings, that they're above us, or that they're these special spiritual beings, but they're just like us. Yeah. They're just like you and me. And they should be on that level to be able to say, like if you go to to one of the most respected chiefs and he comes to you and says, I also had issues with my wife. I also had issues in my relationship. And he relates to you. That's a big thing because he's a human being too, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what helps is that you're not alone, it's gonna be okay, and here's some things that helped us. Mm-hmm. Now, nowadays we wanna to run to the outside, we wanna to run to a counselor, we wanna go get uh, couples counselor. Or divorce counselor. lawyer. Or divorce lawyer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's always our first thing, right? Is, okay, let's throw it away. Like, let's start something new. Let me look for somebody else now. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case. Like maybe that person, maybe you were meant to be with that person, but you just didn't have the support. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the teachings. You didn't have any help in learning who you were. And maybe it's you too. Maybe maybe you needed to learn more about yourself instead of focusing on your partner so much. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the thing is that like everything is so quick and fast nowadays, right? We want things right now. We want it to be feel good. We want it to be good, but when it's not good, we want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case, like, especially in relationships, we should start working at them and and putting time and effort into those relationships. Yeah, it's not all about instant gratification. Yes, that's the yeah. word. Okay, well, I think we've unpacked a lot of the basket <laughs> in this episode yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. Um, you've taken us in the in the other episode, in this episode, from birth right up to, to marriage. Hopefully we can do one in the future about about the next stage of life when you're older. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I want to say, Nyawe, for listening to this episode of the Yoga Inigasuna podcast, The Road to Your Name, and we'll see you again on the next episode.
thank you for listening to this episode of the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Venevery. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word Donate, located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. Yo, ah, he, yo. Yo.